So as a rabbi, I, I relish, yeah, I relish being asked to do weddings. One of my favorite things to do. And I doubly relish, if there is such a phrase, when I get to do a wedding within my own family. And as the only rabbi in my family, I get asked frequently to do weddings. This year alone, I officiated three weddings of mishpacha, of friends, of, my, of family. All of them, second cousins or children of my very close first cousin, Laura and Abby. And so I found myself this past Sunday back in the very same shul, the very same temple, synagogue that I was in at one point 14 years ago under the chuppah. Although this time under the chuppah, I wasn't under the chuppah, the canopy, the wedding canopy, to be married, but to marry my cousin Ben Sion Benzi. It was maybe the most, one of the most beautiful days of my life. And Benzi, from a very young age, was just a remarkably charismatic kid. It was the intimidating cousin because everybody wanted to be around him. His smile was infectious, is infectious. He's so charismatic. He's so personable, so loving of people, and so musical, and so talented as an artist and as a theater person. Very young age, like we'd sit around and he'd be singing songs from musical theater. And at some point, I think it was maybe in, in high school when, when Betsy came out. And thankfully, even though I was born, I was born in a, or grew up in an Orthodox family, Ben grew up in a formerly Orthodox family. His mother, having long adopted reconstructionist perception and perspectives on the world, they belonged to the synagogue that Bedam Shalom up in White Plains went to Salman Shekhar, and so no big deal. But I wonder, and often wondered, given where things were in the world and given where things were in the Jewish world, what Bensi's options were as he grew up. Where would he find love? And more importantly, I wondered to myself, given how much he loved Yiddishkeit, how much he loved Judaism, how would he possibly find someone in the Jewish world? It's rare. And so how incredible it was. Don't know what that is. Anybody know what that is? How incredible it was when, when, when he met Matan. Matan came from a family of Israelis from Betach Tikva. Grew up in Portland, Oregon, and went to Yeshiva University, where he also came out to his family and was received with pride, with love, with dignity, respect. And so when Matan and Ben arranged to meet with me and we sat down, we started talking about their wedding, their commitment to Jewish liturgy and the sanctity of the kind of wedding that they had grown up with was, was paramount. For them. They wanted to feel like a regular wedding, they said. And there are so many different ways, of course, and so many liturgical innovations and different ways to be married now. But 
They wanted only one change, they said. They wanted it to be fully egalitarian. And whenever it says chatan v'kala, wherever it says groom and bride, the Israeli mother in them said, ahuv v're'ah, beloved and friend. Kol sason v'kol simcha, kol chatan v'kol kala, no. Kol sason v'kol simcha, the voice of jubilation and joy. Kol ahuv, the voice of the beloved v're'ah and the friend. Nice, right? From the first moment that I met them, it was so clear to me, so obvious. I've married maybe 100 people in my, life, in my career, maybe more. I'd never met two people who were so perfect for each other in my life. It was so obvious and so clear. It was so evident that if there was a God, as the Midrash says, who is Meshadech Shiduchin, the Gemara says, what, God, what has God been doing since the creation of the world? And the, the Talmud says, God's been involved in J-dates, like making, you know, connecting people. If there is such a deity, if there is such a kismet, a, such a synchronicity, if there is some universal cosmic order that somehow brings people together, the Talmud also says, it's as difficult to bring people together as it is to split the sea. So it's not an easy thing. And if somehow these two remarkable human beings had made their way to the first date that both of them said from the moment they met. From the moment. I'll even tell you a cute story. I hope he's not watching. M Matan was so sure after he finished the date that he texted a picture of my cousin Ben to his mother, but accidentally it went to Ben. <laughs> it didn't matter. The karmic train had already left the station. It was done. And all we could do this past Sunday morning under that chuppah was, was bless what was true. And bless what was obvious, bless what was more natural than any star and any fruit and any vegetable and any, anything in the material world that was so part of, of God's world. And we were there to, to just pay homage to the possibility of love winning in a world where love doesn't often win. And in my heart, as I stood under the chuppah, I couldn't help but think about what it took for this self-evident truth to finally arrive. How many decades, how much pain, how much suffering was involved in arriving in a moment in a synagogue with two incredible human beings loving their Judaism and living it proud and loud and all of us just like saying, a love like that, a love supreme. And it couldn't but have me thinking, of course, about, and I said this to them about this coming week's Torah portion. Tomorrow morning in synagogues around the world, at least here in the United States and not in Israel, we're going to be leading, reading about the spies. Parshat Shlach. The Torah tells us that 12 elected officials, Anshe Shem, really people with great pedigree, of great name. They have a big following on Twitter. They have a lot of, they're very well known. 
people with power. All of them. Kulam, the Torah tells us over and over again, that word repeats itself, kulam. Not as if to say, there wasn't one that wasn't. Kulam, kol, kol all, all of them, all of them, one, not, maybe 10, no, all, all of them. All of them were incredible. And they went to, the, to, to spy in the land or they're essentially to go and get information and bring it back. And sure enough, they bring back all of these truthful things that they've seen. The land is an area, it's a really, you know, it's, it's difficult. It's, there are going to be fortified cities. We're not going to, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be easy. We're not going to just like bulldoze our way into land. And they bring back truth. But then they interpret that truth in a particular way. They say, because of what we've seen, we're never going to get there. In fact, we're the only ones who will get there, not you. We, we got there, but you're not getting there. And up stand, stands Caleb, Kalev, and Joshua. And they say, yeah, it's true. Of course. There's truth in what they say. But come on. The original, yes, we can. Yachol nuchal. Yes, we can. Literally, those are the words. Yes, we can. Don't think we can't. We can. Even if the facts on the ground seem difficult, even if the obstacles seem obvious, even if the challenges are overwhelming, yes, we can. And in fact, yes, they did. Because of Caleb and Joshua, maybe not all of those people that were there, but eventually they did wind up being in the land. Without the powerful message of Caleb and Joshua, as a remnant for all of us here, not for those who actually were in the land, but all of us in the future to come, to say to ourselves, in spite of all that others say, yes, we can. We wouldn't be here today without the Caleb and Marsha P. Johnson, who some say threw the brick in Stonewall. She wrote, as long as gay people don't have their rights all across America, there's no reason for celebration. She said, yes, we can. Without Sylvia Rivera and Harvey Milk, without the great Alexia Salvador, a trailblazer, trans woman in Brazil, even as the violence in Brazil in recent years has completely reached an all-time high, she keeps screaming, they keep screaming, yes, we can, yes, we can, yes, we can, Caleb and Joshua. They didn't accept the status quo. And as I was standing under the chuppah with all of you here and all of you there and everyone there, and all of us were standing under the chuppah seeing what one moment at a time of courage and a relentless belief that the only way to make change is to withstand the headwinds that push us back. How many thousands of years were there young men like Ben and Matan waiting to stand under a chuppah and hear the rabbi say, I'll say those words for you. Sure. Because you are ahuvreya. Your love is not any less than the love of anyone else that has ever stood under the scope with you. And how many decades ago would that have been crazy? How many, how many places in the world is this still crazy and impossible to imagine? 
and how courageous are the Caleb's and Joshua's and Alexia's and Sylvia's and all of them all around the world who are doing this work unflinchingly in spite of bodily harm, death threats. I remember going to the Dominican Republic with AJWS and we met a sex worker who was on the forefront of trying to bring about change in LGBTQ dignity in the Dominican Republic, which is almost non-existent. And it's terrifying today, on a day like today, to think about this step backwards that our country has taken. It's terrifying today that not 10, but seven Anshay Shame women, men who are, have remarkable pedigrees rendered a decision that said essentially, essentially and ostensibly to all of us, we're not getting into that promised land. You know that land where everybody is free? Right, a land where everyone's free? No, no, no. A land where, everybody's, where women's bodies belong to them. We're not getting there. A land where we don't have to be worried that somebody might have a handgun in the pew right next to you. We're not getting there either. In every generation, there's a Caleb and a Joshua. In every generation, there's a Rosa and a Sylvia. In every generation, because they see Matan and Ben, the ones who aren't yet under the chuppah, the ones who are now wondering if there's a world for them. Is there an Ahuv and a Re'ah for them? And who will stand in the breach? So I got an email today from an elected official who said, are you, are you, you know, are we screwed? That was the title of the email. Are we screwed? And then this elected official wrote words, I think, of, of great courage and comfort and, and inspiration. We will get to the promised land. There will be setbacks. There will be people who say it's impossible. Even in me, there's a person inside of me saying, isn't it time now to move to Canada? Isn't it time now to move? Just this week, my friend Gary Gold, you know, our friend, Gary moved to Eretz Israel, moved to Israel, made Aliyah. But we're here. And we have prophets and prophetesses with us. We have leaders and we have powerful visionaries who say, you know what? This is hard. It's really hard. We can't see the chuppah from where we stand right now. Might be a long road, might take 40 years, maybe longer, who knows? Maybe shorter. But I believe. I have to, I have to believe that, that we together can look at one another and say, I want this land to be a land that I am proud of, a country that I have pride in, a society that makes me proud, that the streets of New York and the streets of Oklahoma and the streets in Florida and the streets in California are places where pride 
lives. We can be as they say in Hebrew, I am so proud that we're a place where love rules, where violence has been legislated against, and where women's bodies belong to women. It's so clear that love is love, and one day it'll be equally clear that women's choice is women's choice. We're not there yet. Got a way to go. But Laman Achai, Birei, for the sake of my brothers and sisters, for the sake of my friends, for all of those who need us now more than ever, we must, we must rise up. Please rise. Mm -hmm.